guys hear me okay? Now is that coming out? Beautiful. Okay. Thank you for doing that, Chrissy. I want to make sure everybody has a Bible. If you do not have a Bible in your possession, go ahead and put your hand up and we'll get one. Is that everybody? Right there. Do you want, do we have another? There we go. We got some. And then Brooklyn here in the front. While we're doing that, um, I'll just uh, tell you guys a little bit about what we're about. Um, Again, my name's Nathan, one of the leaders here at Community. Um, Community's purpose, if you're new, what we're here for is for our community to edify, build it up, and reach it with the gospel by practicing what we're called, community. Um, We have people from all different churches, um, people that don't go to church, people who this is their church, people who come here just to... uh, worship Jesus and be united under the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're here for. And um, so welcome. Let's go ahead. If everybody's got their Bible now, open up for me to John chapter 17. Um, Quick review while you're doing that. Last week, uh, Seth and I co-taught on 1 Corinthians 14, which was about public worship, how it should be done, the order it should be done in. done decently and in order as some of the verses say uh, they say that god is a god of peace and not of chaos we talked specifically about two different spiritual gifts and their use and does anybody remember what those two spiritual gifts were tongues and what else tongues and prophecy now what is prophecy we talked about this briefly at the beginning had a whole bunch of people say telling the future revealing the word of god and can that be in just about any form Pretty much, okay? If you look through Scripture, the word prophecy is translated sometimes and used sometimes to mean foretelling the future, but the majority of the time it's used to simply reveal truth about God. Me standing up here teaching you guys, I'm prophesying. Seth and I last week co-prophesied. We talked about how Paul through that whole chapter is saying that we're to desire the spiritual gifts. We're to to seek after tongues and seek after prophecy. But do you guys remember what he said specifically in the middle of that? He said to seek one over the other. Somebody tell me what that one was. Prophecy and why? Right, rather than yourself, right? He said to, to seek tongues and to seek prophecy, but... At the end of the day, above everything else, prophecy wins, that love wins, because building up each other and building up the church as a whole is more important than simply building up yourself. And then he turned around in a pretty little confusing verse and said that he was glad that he spoke in tongues more than everybody else in Corinth did. And you're like, why are you down in tongues? And then you brag about it. He wasn't bragging about it, guys. He was, he was given that gift by God, and that was a very important tool in his life where he and God got together and the gift of tongues was exercised and it built him up and encouraged him and strengthened him to do what he called us to seek a little bit more and that was to prophesy. Uh, So Seth and I co-prophesied. Unfortunately, the podcast didn't record it, but Alex happened to have his computer open and it recorded the whole thing. And so I'm going to go ahead and try in a really awful sound quality to record the audio out of his computer and put it on the iTunes podcast account. For those of you that are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Community Elko teachings are all available for free download on iTunes if you simply search Community Elko. There'll be a little parentheses AAC next to it. Um, So let's get started. I'm going to take a little bit of a break from a series in 1 Corinthians we've been in called Dear Elko. And uh, we're going to, 
in this bizarre turn of events, I was, I was considering just keeping going. And then about, I would say, 3 o'clock this afternoon, I had, I had something else planned. Then about 3 o'clock, the Holy Spirit just kind of said, I want you to talk about this. So I was like, really? Like, really? I don't even have notes. So I'm going to wing this, but, but God's going to do it. So I want to start, if you guys are all open in John 17, I just want to start by looking at this verse on the board I have behind us in First Peter 2. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, specifically, I want to look at just the second line there. Excuse me. As you come to him, the Lord, a living stone, rejected by men, but, and here's where I want to focus, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. I think oftentimes when we're reading, we just kind of haul through that really kind of quick. I think, you know, and what I'm going to talk about today is, John 17 is the high priestly prayer. It was the last prayer that Jesus prayed right before his betrayal, leading up to the cross. Um, what, I want, what I wanted to, to explain to you guys today is that as we often pray, it's always, God, you know, I'm coming before you for this person and that person and for help with this and help with that and help with all this stuff. And we oftentimes forget that the guy who's, in whose name we're praying actually prays for us. And I don't think we think about that very much. But Jesus Christ, even while living on earth, prayed to God the Father for you, for me. God praying to God for me. Okay, it's, like, it's, it's crazy. But if you think about that prayer in that light, it kind of changes uh, the importance of prayer a little bit. You start thinking, wow, if Jesus prayed, we should pray. And I think we pray, but a lot of times it's these little religious words that we kind of throw together. Oh, oh, they called on me to pray. Now, you know, as, as Pastor Harvey used to, as, has said in the podcast as I was studying, he'd say, oh, holy, magnificent Father God of the angels who flieth among the stars or whatever, right? Like, people do that. They try to say, oh, man, I need my prayer to be acceptable in the sight of men. Okay, Jesus prayed in the garden by himself. No one was there. He talks to God, okay? And I'm gonna, I want to go through this with you guys because I think we often forget in prayer that Jesus actually prayed for us. So, John chapter 17, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this, this kind of, almost this whole thing. I'm going to stop at certain parts because you guys have to realize this, this high priestly prayer, prayer we could spend weeks on. Weeks and weeks and weeks just on this. I'm going to pick out a couple little things that have to deal with this First Peter 2 verse of being chosen and precious. So let's go. I'm going to take a sip of agua before we dive in. All right. John chapter 17, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so it might be a little different from your guys'. Here we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, here's the prayer right here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And I remember oftentimes, a little bit of a break here. We all, I remember going, it was in Sunday school at uh, my old church when I was growing up in youth group. It was like, what is eternal life? You know, I, I used to always wonder like, what is it? How do I get it? What's the point? How does that all work? This, this goal to be immortal, right? And then this verse was showed to me. He said, 
in verse 3. And this is eternal life. So what is it? Here it is. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay? That's what eternal life is. Verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So I want to stop right here. We have Jesus, the God-man, praying to God the Father. And one thing that this verse kind of points out, and I noticed a little bit of structure in it, is we need to understand that Jesus, the guy who's praying for you, is God. We have to grasp that. Jesus is no less than God ever at any point. Um, what, what really makes me sick and irritated with Christianity as a whole today is we, we pretend like Jesus was not a real man. I mean, his name is thrown around. It's like, oh, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Like, he was just some good teacher. We forget who he was. Jesus just said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So that kind of means that Jesus was with God before anything ever existed, right? So this is a God-man, okay? We have to understand this. His name's not to be thrown around lightly, not to be used in vain, not to be mistreated, okay? Verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. Basically what Jesus is saying here, guys, is my ministry was effective. He's just saying, God, you sent me here with something to do. I did it, and it's working. These people are changing. They're believing. Okay, verse 9. Here's where it starts. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. What do you guys, why, why do you guys think he said that? Who, according to that verse, who is he praying for specifically? Disciples. Disciples. Who else? Believers. believers. That's the word I was looking for. Good job. He's praying for Christians, believers, not the lost people. This isn't a prayer for the lost people. Oh, Jesus was rude. He didn't pray for the lost people. No, he loved the lost people so much he died for them. Okay, but this prayer happens to be for Christians. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, he says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So basically what Jesus said just now is, I'm about to take off, right? The end is here. I did what you called me to do. My ministry was effective. It worked. I'm about to leave. But the ones that you gave me, God, are still here. Okay, so this is where he's going with this prayer. Um, they are in the world and I am coming to you. In the middle of verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So we stop right here. What is Jesus specifically praying for Right in those verses. I'm looking for a word, and it's half of what we're called here. Unity. Unity. Jesus, in his last prayer, is, is asking God to unify the believers. How much unity do we see in Christianity today? Hardly. 
right? Oh, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't fellowship with that church because, you know, they have a drummer and drums are of the devil. Or I can't, I can't hang out with that youth group because, you know, have you seen some of those kids' hair? You know, or we can't do anything with that church because they're not part of our denomination, which, by the way, if Jesus was here, he would hate this denomination garbage that we have. It's, I wouldn't even go there, but he would hate that. <laughs> Jesus is praying for unity. Um, the same unity, keep in mind, the same communion that he has with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Have you guys, you guys ever actually put in just a tiny bit of thought into the Trinity? I mean, my, my old pastor used to say, the Trinity. Uh, he said, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but deny it and you can lose your soul. Right? That, that stuck with me kind of forever. But Jesus is praying for the same oneness as our one God in three indistinct persons shares with himself. Yeah, think about that for a little bit, that last sentence. He's praying for the oneness that our one God in three indistinct three distinct persons has with himself. So this is, he's not praying for just Christian cordiality or whatever that word is, cordialness. Oh, what's up? How are you doing? He's praying for intimate unity. Okay, let's keep going with this here. He says at the end there that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12, he says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, what did he, what did he just say here? What, what did he pray for us just now in the earlier, in verse 12? What did Jesus do for us while, while he was on earth? According to verse 12. Protected. I mean, you ever, you ever really think about that this active living God is currently protecting you? I, mean, I think about that all the time. It's like, man, I'm going through life. Sometimes life sucks. And we're like, why are we here? What's the point? I can't handle this anymore. And we forget that Jesus prayed for us, that he's protecting us, that he wants us. And it says here, um, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He just prayed for us to have joy. Notice he didn't say that they might be happy. You guys realize there's a difference between happiness and joy? Jesus did not die on a cross so you can be happy. That's a lie from Satan. Because of that lie, you get this, oh, if God loves me, then I'm just going to be rich and have everything, and if I'm poor, then God doesn't love me. Is that true? Does scripture say that? Does he say, come to Jesus Christ and you will be happy and smile all the days forevermore in beautiful fields of flowers? Does it say that? What does it say? Get ready. One of the Christian comedians I used to listen to, Mark Lowry, said, you want a boring life? Don't come to Christ. You want an interesting life? Come to Christ. That kind of stuck in my mind too, okay? Jesus is praying for our joy. And the only way we can have that joy is by having that relationship, that unity with Jesus himself and other believers. Keep cruising down through here. Verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Um, Seth and I, um, 
have a Christian rock band. We recorded an album. We did some touring under this band. And our band name was A Perfect Rejection. And we got that from John 15 specifically. But this verse points right to that, okay? The world hates them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Do you guys realize that you're flat-out aliens? Like, if you believe in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. We forget that so much, right? We're like, oh, man, I need to make sure that I have everything I want while I'm here. Uh, oh, Oh, a mission trip? Yeah, like to do that, but there's a car I want got to get my car. Then I'll be happy. Forget about Nicaraguans or Nicaraguaites, whatever they're called. I don't know what they're called. Nicaragua people. People of Nicaragua. There we go. Okay, we forget this stuff. Let's keep going here. <clears throat> um, I just looked down and slid my thumb on my iPhone and lost it. Oh, here we go. I've given them your, wor- your word and the world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Verse 15, here he goes. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I had somebody ask me one time, man, oh, if God is love and if God really loves me, why am I still here? Why doesn't he just take me up to heaven? Jesus actually prayed that God the Father wouldn't do that. Why do you think? Dude, hit the nail on the head. So we could stay here and let our light shine for him. Jesus just said, I've protected them. I kept them safe. I gave them your word. They believed your word. If Jesus came down here and did all this work for us and died on the cross for us and saved us and then pulled us all out, it's like, man, millions more could be saved, right? That's why we're here. Okay? He says, I don't want you to take them out, but I want you to protect them from the evil one. This does two things. One makes me super stoked that Jesus is praying for my protection from the evil one. Okay? I'm, we should all be ridiculously grateful for that. Second thing it does is it emphasizes the power of the evil one. Right? If this guy is, if the evil one, Satan, is so powerful that even Jesus needs to pray to God the Father for our protection from him, shouldn't we be praying for that too? I mean, Jesus prayed for us. I I can't get over this. Like, Jesus prayed for our protection against the evil one. We keep going here. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. He says it again. This isn't your home. This isn't your life. Stop trying to make it your life. People just, they have this view of Christianity anymore that we're all just a bunch of religious nut jobs and, you know, oh, they go to church every, every time the doors are open because they're just a bunch of Jesus freaks and I don't, I don't need no organized religion, right? Neither do we. By all means, if we become organized religion, I'm shutting this place down. I want to be semi-organized, Jesus-loving, gospel-focused, missional people, religion-free, That's what I want to be, because religion never did anything for anybody except lead them to hell. All right, let's keep going here. 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. What's truth? He says, your word is truth. So, what should we be in? His word. If we're not in his word, are we going to be sanctified in truth? What are we doing? I mean, I always use this example, and I don't mean to bash the Xbox trademark, but it seems like everybody I know has an Xbox. How much time do we play shooting Nazi zombies? 
lot. How much time do we spend trying to sanctify ourselves in truth? Hardly any. Why? What do you think the evil one would rather you do? Feed the flesh. Save the world from Nazi zombie destruction. Right? Right. No, and, and my wife brought up a really good point. I always, I always say that, but she's right. It's not just entertainment things, right? I'm talking sheer idolatry in all of its perfect forms. Do you guys realize that your girlfriend can be your idol? Your boyfriend can be your idol? Your family can be your idol? Pastor Harvey from Living Sons in Reno always says, when a good thing, because family and all that stuff is good things, right? They're good things. When good things become God things, they become bad things, right? Anything that takes the place of number one in our lives over Jesus Christ is an idol. Okay, when good things become God things, they're bad things. Okay, anything can be that for you. Um, what was it? I can't remember who told me this, but the saying was this, and it really made me think. What, what, you're, what you boast about, you're most about. And I love, I love these little things and because they, just, they stick in your head and they help you remember this, okay? What you boast about, what first comes to your mind when you have idle time was something that Harvey had said. What first comes to your mind when you have idle time, dead time alone, is potentially your idol. I mean, think about it. When you guys have a day for yourself, first of all, there's a problem there. <laughs> this is my day for me. Yeah, Jesus went somewhere in there, but... Okay, when you have a day for yourself, what do you do? If I'm being straight up honest with you guys, what happens to me is I end up going to my recording studio and trying to write Christian music. Okay, I'm trying to do the right thing here. It's a good thing. But do I, do I ever sit down and spend some time with God? Or do I ever go out and try to see what I can do in the community? Or is it just my day? Okay, what you boast about, you're most about. We need to boast about Jesus. Paul said numerous times, I boast in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's it. Right? Let's keep going. Uh, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. There you go. Jesus is sending us into the world. That's why He doesn't want us gone. What are you doing at work? You guys witnessing to people at work? You telling people at school? Is there any seniors in here that just graduated? Nope, that's probably why they're not here. Families all down from out of town, graduation parties. Okay. What'd you do with your last day? I'm going to say that because they'll probably listen to the podcast. I'm going to ask you guys listening to the podcast, what did you do with your last day? Have fun, hopefully. But did we do anything for the Lord? Fire. That's awesome, man. There, that's one little thing that you did for the Lord there while signing. And then I had a friend that was like, that he was telling me that this girl was like, yeah, this dude was all weird, you know, writing like Bible stuff in my yearbook. And I'm like, well, you know, that's good. You know, you got the blessings that I think that will bless you. Yeah, dude, that's the best kind of weird you can be. 
That is, that is, a, that is perfect rejection right there. That's awesome, dude. I'm so, I'm so proud of you for doing that. Using something as simple as signing a yearbook for the Lord. Okay? We keep going down here. Man, I keep sliding my thumb on the screen. I've got to stop that. As you sent me into the world for a purpose and a mission, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, and by these only, he's saying, for the, the people who have believed right now, the people who are saved now. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's one of the most confusing verses to somebody who doesn't understand the Trinity. God, I mean, Jesus is saying, you, me, I, us, they, them, us, and you, and they, and us. And it, it's, it's, it gets really confusing. What did he just pray for again? It's in our name. Unity. He just did it again. God, unify them in your word. Sanctify them in your word, in truth. Okay, this is what he's saying. He prays for it again. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There's unity a third time. 23. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. There's a fourth time. So that, one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So why in the world do we need to be unified? So that it make yeah, so that it makes relevant everything that Jesus did. Yeah, absolutely. It validates our message. Here's the problem. How good of a job are we doing about that? Okay, if, here, he goes, I'm going to read it again, just so we can break it down. He says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The reason that God wants us to be unified is exactly what David said. So that when we stand up here and we say, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and him crucified and buried and risen again, when we preach and boast in the gospel, we can back it up that they can look and see, wow, it actually has some power to it. Look at these people. I want this. I want this joy, right? People, you guys believe it or not, they're the outsiders. We're not the weird ones. Not loving Jesus is weird. When somebody comes down, when, some, when God comes down and dies for you and saves you and you're the weird one and somebody's like, oh, I don't, no, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. He, I mean, he was a great teacher and stuff. But no, he's definitely not God. It's like, man, that's weird. I, I used to, it was, it's so weird that I used to, and I told you guys this before, I used to lie about it, telling people that I loved God and I was a Christian and all this stuff just so they would leave me alone. I mean, just get off my back. You know what I mean? We keep going here. The reason that we're unified is so that people will believe what we're saying so that we can, we can be this picture of Christ and, and the Trinity and the communion that's shared there. Um, 24, he says, Father, I desire also that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known to them. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So what does he end the prayer by basically saying? The Holy Spirit, I'm going to help them. He's like, I did it in person here, but now I'm going to go and I I wish they could be with me. They will be with me one day, but I'm going to help them. He says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. So does that kind of mean that God is still active today? Contrary to popular belief? I mean, you guys, when we come to church and when we come to community, we're not singing, oh, amazing love that God is dead, but he loved me while he was alive. I mean, sometimes that's what we do. We come to church, we forget that God's alive, and we're just like, oh, man, dead Jesus loves you, brother. Man, some dead guy loves me? I don't care. I'm sure lots of dead people would, you know, love me. Right? I mean, you could, you could say, I mean, who cares if a dead guy loves you? I mean, I think of all these religions in the world where they pray to dead guys. Jesus isn't dead. He came back. That's why the gospel has power, right? We're not praying in the dead Jesus' name, amen. I mean, what good is that going to do? People follow dead people. I follow somebody who's alive. I don't know about you guys, but my God isn't dead. If you can kill my God that's, and he stays dead, that's not a God that I want to trust my soul to. Man, I want a God who can conquer it. And that's what Jesus did, right? He finishes up this prayer, you guys, just by saying, um, I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Do you guys realize that God the Father loved Jesus Christ, his son? The same person loved the same person, but they're three distinct people. We'll we'll go there another time. Everybody's like, what? We'll go there a different time. But do you realize this communion, this fellowship between God himself that is so perfect, that is so... uh, When you you look at it this way, you guys, somebody told me this. Actually, it was was Harvey again in one of his sermons. Um, the perfect community in the Trinity, talking about when you understand how perfect this communion was with God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, you realize just how much more agony Jesus Christ experienced on the cross when God the Father broke that communion with him. I mean, what did Jesus cry on the cross? Did he say, curse the man who hit the hammer, may he burn in hell forever and that guy that stabbed me, may he die a horrible, awful death. Was that his focus? Ever. Not one time. What hurt him the most? What did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that. The sin of the world on his shoulder, and this God who from eternity past has had perfect communion with his Father, That father turns his back because he can have nothing to do with sin. That hurt more, you guys, than any nail we could ever hammer in. That hurt more than any crown of thorns we could smash on his head. Okay, He did it for us. He broke, had to have that communion with his father broken for us. And then three days later, it was completely restored back to the way it was. 
Chella, your dog has taken off across the parking lot. Did you know that? Okay. <laughs> I just saw it go, woo. So, you guys, I wanted just to do this little kind of a rabbit trail into this because I want you guys to understand what prayer should be like, why we're here at community, that Jesus Christ's most important thing that he prayed for last was God four times. Unify them. Make them the same. Okay, and I also want to make clear, just in closing here, you guys, that I'm not talking about just because somebody says Jesus, that means we're supposed to just unite. Okay, we're to unite under the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. Tons of religions say Jesus doesn't matter jesus said many will come to me up there you know and say god we did all these things in your name and he's going to say i don't even know you right it's not just throwing out the name jesus that means we accept everybody it's the gospel of jesus christ it's what it means who cares if they have a drummer i don't care i don't care if they you know have 500 people in their church oh oh man we need to steer clear of those mega churches Man, in Elka, what, it's like 50 people, you're a mega church. Uh, we, but we can't fellowship with anybody. They're either too small or too big. I mean, what, what's the gospel, you guys, unites us? There's absolutely no reason that we have all these denominations. Oh, well, we're going to be Baptists, and we're going to be uh, Arminians, and we're going to be Calvinists. And Harvey said one time, he goes, man, I bet you Joseph, or I just forgot if it was Joseph or Jacob, whatever, Arminius, and John Calvin are up in heaven right now going, why in the world have these people divided and put our names on it? He goes, they're standing up there in heaven worshiping God together going, those stupid people. And their names are on it. I just think about that. You guys, we have to come together to reach our city for Christ. The motorcycle jamboree thing coming up with our visitors that are here. How awesome would it be to sing Jesus Christ and Him crucified in front of that many people? The hell's angels, they told me, are usually right, right down there. How awesome is that? Is, is that not why we're here? We're not supposed to go down there and be freaks. We're supposed to go down there and be about Jesus. It doesn't matter. If they already hate us. They hate us because we're not... This whole chapter just said we're not even from this place. This isn't our home. We're not of the world. Okay, we have to be about Jesus Christ. Some of you guys are looking at me. I know you know this. I'm going to say it again. What we're about here is Jesus Christ. You're going to come here. If you never hear the name Jesus Christ, if you never hear me talk about the gospel, leave. Please tell me first so that I can fall on my face and get right with God for making this something about something besides him and him crucified because that's why we're here. We're Jesus freaks. We love Jesus. We're never going to stop. We're going to reach our city for him. So remember, guys, Jesus loved you so much. You are chosen and precious in the sight of God, and he prays for you. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. God.